Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 114. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by, on the list, Thomas Smiley. And we're here to talk about Legacy. I'm on the list? Is this like, I get invited to the barbecue? Or I'm on the list for what? Yeah, well actually, that's a good point, man. You're on the list, the uh, the honorary list, I guess. But you're also one of the... Uh, one of the cards that gets honored with a reprint, right? Did you hear about the list for like Zendikar? Oh no, I didn't. Tell me about it, bro. So in the set boosters, there, you know how they did the priceless treasures last time around? Yeah, the the ones that they just had laying around, they stuffed in. Yeah, they actually did that same sort of thing, except they're just reprinting the cards this time. Okay. So, yeah, there's 300 cards that are going out. And I guess it's sort of just like the rare sheet from the mystery box or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I started there, man. That's kind of like a weird finance vibe. I feel like uh, I feel like that's what the game is right now, though. Yeah, check out our Discord. You can talk to us about sweet finance tips like buying reserve list cards and uh, see everybody posting um, pictures of the food they eat with their massive amounts of money in dual lands because they're rich. Bro, speaking of uh, <laughs> speaking of finance casts, uh, no, let's not go there, actually. <laughs> speaking of expensive cards, we're doing a fundraiser. I can't wait. Like, one, we talked about how excited we were to um, to, to reach out and do some more work for, um, for whatever charity or charities we're going to pick. Um, I just have like a vault of cards that are are sitting in my closet that I can go through. I really get that feeling like I'm going back in time to um to when we did the last one. Was vault supposed to be a play on words there? Yeah, and going back in time. It was uh Oh nice, dude. Nice. It was, it. it was perfect. We we're definitely adding less than fifty percent to the equation, so if they want to take the credit, as long as the money goes to a good place, I think we're fine with that, right? Absolutely. I'm just going to be salty about it. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, bro. So, yeah, we've already had, I know, the the World Gorger, whatever, what is the World Gorger Dragon team? Is it just like the people who post memes in the Facebook group? I, I mean, I think that's who we're talking about, right? I feel yeah. like if you play World Gorger, you're required to post like weekly memes they have like a quota, and if you don't meet the quota, you get kicked out of their Discord or something. All right. Well, I, I always thought it was one person, but apparently it's a team, according to the uh, the updates we're getting. So they've donated. Uh, a couple other people have donated. I'm sure we'll we'll talk about it at a later time when we have a more official list. But we've got some sick stuff. It's awesome to be doing something like giving back and not just this sort of verbal masturbation hour we've been doing for the past six months or whatever six months <laughs> i don't know I, I have no sense of time anymore bro it's all just one long day oh i was about to say it's just like it's been like two years yeah. but yeah, yeah yeah i get to for sure how was tutoring man uh it was good i uh it's actually crazy that um the stuff i'm tutoring i'm, I'm actually teaching during the day and i'm kind of using the tutoring sessions as a pilot for my classes uh, because I have like, I have a new setup in my office with uh, some new teaching tools I haven't used before. So, um, uh, so it's nice to be able to pilot that before I actually teach my classes. Teaching the classes though is like, it's been exhausting. 
um the zoom classes yeah it's just like an hour in a classroom goes by so much quicker than an hour sitting on a zoom call like so wait, just why, the perception why is of time that? really yeah oh when you're in the classroom right you have that little wiggle room in the beginning where the kids come they sit down you take attendance you get all that stuff out of the way and by the time you actually start class after they're done like doing their warm-up problem or whatever you're like five minutes in at the end you're giving them like i don't know like a little exit ticket or something they're doing on their way out so it like chops the beginning and the end off and the middle is like way more relaxed and in the zoom call like the pacing is just weird um it just i feel like i feel like my class time is doubled i don't know i don't know if that makes sense to non-teachers but that's interesting man do you feel like it's uh because i know me personally working from home it sucks like i I go into the office i've never had to go into an office with you know software developer i can usually do my work from home Mm -hmm. but i've always chosen to go in because it's just harder for me to get work done from home like i have a dog you know i have like there's always something that needs cleaning or you know some sort of distraction outside or just distraction internally like i'll want a dopamine hit so i'll like you know grab my phone or be like oh i can watch you know sports center and do work at the same time when i only have one language processor in reality yep so no, i i got you my um my kid's first day of real online school was this morning so he's doing that downstairs. I don't really have any distractions upstairs. It's my wife and I in the um, in two separate rooms. And my I think I would be way more frustrated if I was in the school building doing this because the access to technology there is just way less. Like they right. gave us all laptops. And that obviously that was like really nice that they gave everybody um, a laptop, but it doesn't really come close to what I'm used to using. The internet speeds are slower. I'm, I'm happy that I'm home doing the remote teaching, but I would much rather be in the building with the kids, not dealing with the situation. Yeah. I feel you, bro. Oh, yep. that sucks. So what what's the time frame, the earliest time frame that this could be amended? November twentieth for us. They're gonna reevaluate, but like my city is in the red. It's one of the worst in Massachusetts. So it's unlikely that we are gonna go back until something changes significantly and uh yeah i don't see that happening by november all right so i guess you're you're cool with that though or you kind of kind of wish you could go back at this point oh obviously i wish i could go back but we're we're gonna make do with what uh what we have gotcha is that what you anticipated i'm sorry to spend so much time on this listeners but i'm just curious is did you because i think people sort of romanticize the idea of working from home until they actually have to do it oh yeah i thought it was gonna be way better yeah, it, it I, sucks, right? Yeah, it like it does. It does kind of suck. I imagined because, like, my office is right next to my bedroom. I roll out of bed, I take a shower, I eat my breakfast, I sit down in my chair, and I'm like, ah, I'm at home, but now I have to work, and that kind of sucks. Exactly, yeah. bro. Like everybody's like, oh, I wish I could work from home, but you also have to live where you work at that point. So it's like there's no clear lines delineating. I'm at work and I'm at home. Like you can, you can add, you know, things to your routine, like showering and, and like at a certain time every day and, you know, drinking coffee and locking certain doors or whatever. So people don't come up or, you know, whatever you're doing to like delineate, this is work time. This is not work time, mm-hmm. but it's still like, it's just not the same. I don't know. Man. 
Yep. No, I completely understand. I've heard stories of people like still getting in their car, driving to Dunkin' Donuts, getting a coffee, and then coming home and then starting to work. It's um, actually a great idea. I'm going to start doing that. Yeah, it's like you you set yourself up for a little commute. You just end up back in the same spot. But uh, I but really, I, I really can't complain. Like we're everything's doing fine. But we just had a dollar check on the plumbing. What? Um, oh. The tree pipes completely crushed the clay um, pipes going to the street connector. So we have to dig up everything to the middle of the street, get a police detail, um, and uh, set us back $1,000. That's fucking absurd, bro. Yep. So You know, I used to do that. That was my first job when I was 14. I hope they paid you well. (laughs) No, I got $10 an hour off the books. Oh, man. Which at the time was like more than my friends were making, so it kind of was paid well. But yeah, that's that's what my stepdad does for a business. So yeah, it is. It's not a bad business. Like obviously, it needs to get done. But uh, but I wish we caught this when we bought the house because yeah, I'm ninety nine percent sure it was a problem before we moved in, and uh, our inspector just didn't catch it because it was in the exterior pipes, and they only took a look at the in- inside ones. So that's uh, that's something to watch out for if you're buying a house. Yeah, for sure, man. So we had a new set drop, a fall set, which is obviously the beginning of a cycle for the magic year, traditionally speaking. And this is like one of the few times I feel like I get to contribute something worthwhile to the cast, even though it's not it's not our, our core constituency. It's not why people are tuning in in the first place. Like we're not limited uh, masters. What's the Lords of Limited? There we go. We're not Lords of Limited. We're not limited resources, right? But, you, but this is like the most spiky part of the cast now. We get to talk about your trophy <laughs> race. It's not about legacy. It's like I did I did 15 drafts this week and I trophied seven of them. And that's pretty good. Yeah, bro. That that's uh, This is my big contribution. But honestly, and I've said this before, like we talk about the cards. We do the set review. And we're doing this like just looking at the cards and thinking about them, right? Yep. which is which is you know good which is better than nothing but it's not the same as holding the cards and playing the cards and then sitting there while your opponent plays and just thinking about how this card was right there, there's a certain like a certain tactile benefit to touching the cards and that's why it always annoys me a little bit when people say oh you know play design when when they excuse the play design mistakes by saying or the the play test mistakes by saying oh, look how bad the Redditors are at reviewing these cards. Because they've actually gotten to touch them and play with them for months at a time. And there are other reasons that they make mistakes that are totally out of their hands, like, you know, tweaks that are made that are beyond them. But Like making everything draw a card when it enters the battlefield? Yeah, yeah. But basically, what I'm trying to say is when I actually touch the cards and play them, a lot of times my feelings on the cards will change a little bit. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've played at least 10, but less than 20 drafts, probably somewhere around 15 drafts. And I only have two trophies, which is kind of disappointing, but it's also kind of the way the format lines up, I've found. It's a little tricky because I'll build decks. It's very much a two-color format. And I'll build decks, like uh, the aggro deck will just will lose to the life gain deck like like the black white life gain deck or the the kicker deck like the the big blue green kicker deck 
we'll just lose to the blue red good stop deck you know what i mean mm-hmm. like there, there's there's some bad matchups like inherent in the color pairings of the format so i feel like a, a little bit of it is bad luck and a little bit of it is you know me going insight unseen i'm not like watching limited resources anymore or anything like that but i'm enjoying the format man i think it's a fun format you know for people who do draft i, I would recommend it but did, this is what i wanted to ask did you draft zendikar when it was first round yeah i drafted a ton of it in fact we used to um buy boxes to draft and i would trade in cards for more limited product and i just like stockpiled um fetch lands and drafted that set a ton yeah Okay, so what do you feel like the sort of uh, common perception of it that it was like the most aggro draft format of all time is true? Uh, I So I still haven't done a ton of drafts. It was very reasonable to take like a bunch of early land drop tre- creatures and try to, um, or landfall creatures and try to aggro your opponent out. I don't. I don't have a ton of experience drafting too many of the recent sets competitively competitively to make a comparison, but Zendikar was pretty aggro. I don't know if it was the most of all time. Okay. Cause yeah, what I've always heard, like the, what's shared between people is the Zendikar draft is the, the most aggro format and that the, the early game is turn one and two and the mid game is turn three and four and the late game is turn five basically. There were way more one drops in the Zendikar draft format than there were in all the other ones. Um, to the point where I, that's when I started to like get back into magic. And I think it might've screwed up my drafting strategies because okay. I, even in formats that are slow that, you know, you want to be mid range. I generally like stick to a lower curve and maybe that has something to do with it. Gotcha. Okay. So I, Gatecrash is generally considered the second most aggro format of the modern era, I guess you'd say. And I actually didn't really like Gatecrash draft. That was when I was getting back into the game. And I, I don't know, it was fine. It was, I just didn't think it was anything special and I didn't really enjoy the games a whole lot. So when people said Zendikar was more aggro than Gatecrash, I was like, fuck that. Whenever there's a flashback draft or something, I was like, no, I'm out. Like I, I, I don't know these cards. So everybody else in the flashback is going to have an advantage over me and they're going to know how aggro it actually is. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I just didn't want that. Like, even if it, if it was as aggro as they said, then I wouldn't have had fun playing it. And if it, it wasn't, then I was just going to get steamrolled. You know what I mean? Okay. So I don't know how aggro that was, but I have, I have to imagine this is a lot less aggro. But this is a very interesting format because the one drops in each color are all very relevant. Like the common one drops, they all go into different decks. And I will not, I definitely won't say this is going to be one of my top five formats. I'm not enjoying it that much, Mm -hmm. but I am definitely enjoying it. There's a lot of tricks, man. And there's a lot of onboard tricks and stuff and, and a lot of sort of uh, combat tricks that are playable in this case like subtle strike is a big one or one one flash creatures that subtract power so it's it's very much a uh i think a expert level draft set but just the the speed of it doesn't make it the most fun in my opinion okay i think landfall as a mechanic in draft is nice because when you're playing limited like you have i don't want to say the most potential to like flood out or get screwed but 
um, having landfall abilities on cards makes strong extra lands that you might not need right then at least a little bit more valuable, and I like how that sort of evens out your draws. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That, that's definitely a good point, and that is something I've heard discussed before, and, and it's definitely true. But what I wanted to say uh, was that the the spell lands, right? Because we talked about the five mythic spell lands, the bolt lands. Mm-hmm. We talked about those last week. Yeah, we probably missed the the common ones, like that green 3-3 three, three for three. Uh, it's, it's a rare, but yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the like there were some ones that we didn't talk about, but that's yeah, just like a sure. like a value card. Yeah, I I don't know what you call it, a vertical cycle, I guess, but I think I'm pretty sure that there's one for every color for every rarity. Okay. Uh, I know that's true for common and uncommon. I'm not sure if it's true for rare. I think it is, but anyway, there's there's a whole bunch of them that come into play tapped and they're not basic lands, so we just sort of brush them off, right? We didn't consider them at all. But when you're playing with them in limited and you sort of realize that like um, these are coming out of your spell slots in or or coming out of your land slots rather in decks and they're they're just additional spells you can play even if they're not the most impactful spells because they cut down on the power of the spell based on the utility right sort mm-hmm. of like a command or something but there are decks like we didn't really think about this and you're you're totally right there are decks that don't necessarily want to play something on turn one or or don't you know they have 12 basics already they can afford to play a non-basic so we we definitely should have looked at those closer and i think we've seen one or two of those pop up right uh yeah there were there were some in the league i didn't take too close of a look at the um at the challenges this weekend but i we're gonna we're gonna dive into that in a little bit yeah for sure so that was the first thing that that the come into play tap lands are a little better than we thought and also with mox diamond you know those sort of decks like a lot of times you can either discard it to diamond or you want to play off curve anyway so it's interesting and i think that the lands are are certainly better than i thought they were the next card that i wanted to mention was uh uh stormgate sea caller there we go seagate storm caller I knew I was going to fuck that up. <laughs> Seagate Stormcaller. I didn't realize when we did the review that you didn't have to pay mana for the second spell, or, or for the the uh, spell that you're casting. Oh, so okay. It's a little bit better than I thought, but I still don't think it's a good card, but we have seen it show up. So yeah, we've definitely just... seen some combo decks based around resolving it. Um, lots of stuff with culling the weak, uh, yep. using it using it as, as fodder for that and getting an extra cantrip or ritual um so i mean we talked about it we th- we saw it might see play i can't remember how negative we were on it but um but it wasn't that bad i think we were reasonably negative and basically i just wanted to amend those two positions because once i actually played with the cards i was like wow it's a little bit better than i yeah i think it. we missed the boat on the um uh the white the white death and taxes card the three drop that um that exiles an opponent yeah um, well that's interesting so I wanted to get into that, I guess, first because there was the PAX tournament that we talked about. It was like a two-week-long event on mm-hmm. Moto where there was a Legacy Championship for PAX. I don't know if that's the usual thing that happens. I don't think it is, but it was the thing that happened this year. And that dude, uh, John, right, XJ Club, mm-hmm. he top-aided with Death and Taxes with, I believe, three Skyline apps. Yeah, I think four Mother of Runes, two No Giver of Runes. Like, I, I took a look at the list on Twitter, 
Um, there was there's another little fiasco that I think made made all that pop into my Twitter feed, but um, uh, he he completely swears by it, and he plays a lot more Dunn Taxes than me. He's a much better player, so I uh, I absolutely passed to to his expertise. Yeah, Tom Cairns was giving me shit about it actually because of Eldrazi Displacer. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he was like, you know, you're always talking about the white Eldrazi deck, like that's your, you know, that's the deck that you think about a decent amount. And with Displacer getting rid of tokens on this card, isn't it just better than Council's Judgment? And I, I don't think so, but I felt like that was a a good enough point that I should bring it up because it it seems like I I was unfairly harsh on this card, I guess. Yeah, I guess like in all of the other previous builds that I had with the deck. I just wanted more utility, three drops. Um, I think I was playing a lot more Mirror and Crusaders. I didn't want to drop Flicker Wisps. And uh, there's just more three drops in his version of the deck. And obviously it's a powerful effect, but uh, my initial take was most likely wrong on it. So I wanted to wanted to say that for sure. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still not like 100%. And he actually uploaded the whole tournament, I believe, to YouTube. So hmm. maybe I should like watch a couple of the games and see how it plays out because the we card can do like a live reaction to to some of the matches. Yeah, the card I haven't drafted one yet, but I've had them played against me, and I'm always like, oh, thank god, because it would like bail me out of games. I just vanquish it and get like a six six token. You know, mm-hmm. it seemed really bad in draft, and that was sort of how I pictured it playing out in legacy games. But maybe that's not how it is. Yeah, I mean, like, uh legacy the powerful effects that it can snipe and leave your opponent with um with a very small token are plentiful like you get a um uh an astrolabe from snowco and they get a one one which basically means nothing uh but you snipe their mana fixing and uh and that's kind of a big deal and i also put confounding conundrum on this list to talk about before we went into the into the results from this weekend Mm -hmm. and i can't remember why dude like why did i put this card here like what did i realize about this card that i thought deserved to mention it (laughs) i honestly i have no idea this is the one when you play your second land every turn it gets bounced to your hand (laughs) i did the show notes on monday so we actually uh this is this is the rare time when the show notes were done more than one hour before the cast started but I didn't see it in any of the results, so you yeah. want to dive into the challenges? Yeah, wanna... let's do it. So the first challenge with this set, Zendikar 3, being legal, Saturday, top eight, we got one card from the new set, and it is Forsaken Monument. Coming and it was in hot. the bigger version, just like you called. I, I'm small-minded, and I only saw it in the beatdown version. Um, but you pretty much call this exact list for a deck that would want to use it as a little extra ramp. And uh, it's not just playing one copy, it's playing three. Yeah, you know what? I, I would love to take all that credit, but I can't because this deck isn't playing Reality Smasher. So I saw it in like the Reality Smasher version, and this is straight up replacing Reality Smasher. I did not think that it would be that good, right? So like... This is, uh, we should say, uh, Maximus D. 
this is like the four Karn, two Ugin version of Eldrazi, but it has for creatures four Thought Not Seer, two Ballista, two Ulamog, three Golos, and an Endbringer. So it is it is a bigger version, and this is just straight up replacing Reality Smasher from the bigger Eldrazi version. And th this is not exactly what I saw, and I'm, I'm not saying that this is like the best version or anything, but this obviously did top eight. So yeah, discard, I, I feel like, you know, 2-2 two -two is a lot of power toughness. Maybe maybe we both underestimated that effect. Yeah, and I think, like, just curve-wise, obviously swapping swapping this in for your 5-drop makes a lot of sense. Uh, but this deck just has a ton of prison elements, and giving yourself access to more ramp, I can definitely see pushing pushing it over the edge. So Right. What's the, what's the sphere that's not sphere? thorn of amethyst yeah that um that does it to all non-creatures right so in like the thorn version reality smasher is is cheaper but in this version that's just playing four spheres mm -hmm. it's it's the same difference so i guess i don't know man i'm honestly really surprised to see this card in a version without matter reshaper but uh obviously props to maximus d yeah, I mean, I I was too when I saw it. I I completely thought it was going to be a um, a Drazi mimic uh, yep. like version version of the deck. Right. So, yeah, well, props, you know, very very cool. Uh, I guess we'll we'll just look at the new cards, right? Because the rest of the challenge, I mean, is rug delver over sneak and show. Yeah, I uh, mean, we had a we had a shark typhoon Sylvan library deck in the top eight too, but yeah. So twenty second place. Uh, I'm sorry, 26th place. Ah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. With uh, Oops All Spells. They're, they're saying Oops All Spells Depths because it has a depth sideboard, but this is something that we talked about, which is the dual face or the, the bolt lands being used as a land, as a mana source. Yeah, in this deck. And yeah. they're even hotter on them than I, than I was. So for... Algadim's Awakenings and two turn, turn turn timber symbiosis. It's hard to say. Turn timber symbiosis. Yeah, I said it. And usually, I can't I can't pronounce things like that. So yeah, this is. I, and I'm not sure like how much of this is just people wanting to try new cards, right? There's always like that that rush to novelty. Mm -hmm. But there have been a lot of depths in the leagues or i'm sorry a lot of oops in the leagues and there's even like a oops deck in modern now with these fucking cards yeah i mean like you have significantly more access to a turn one mana source compared to the old versions like the old yep. versions played 16 turn one mana sources with mox pedal and then the double spirit guides they played 16 and now you have an extra six that you're able to fit into the deck I um, I mean, this is where we thought that they would slot right into, so it's not surprising that we see them. You probably yeah, mulligan sure. far fewer hands with access to that those those cards. I would imagine, yeah. And then there's also an aspect that we didn't really talk about or think about, but they've also gained once upon a time, and that wasn't enough, I don't think, to get anyone to play Oops because it's such a miserable experience, I imagine, but you know the addition of once upon a time and then the addition of these cards so the oops deck is already better than it was and now it's even better than that okay it's interesting like, yeah the 
I think we talked about it when Once Upon a Time got printed. Okay. When you have when you have a chance to mulligan with a deck like this, and you see that like you're missing one thing, but you have a Once Upon a Time, um, whether or not you keep it or whether or not you ship it back with the new mulligan rules. Yeah. Uh, obviously, like this deck, the the payoff to getting your turn one colored mana source is huge. And that's interesting. I definitely remember us talking about it with regard to depths. So it's kind of the same thing. And I don't know, man. I mean, like, what what does it really look like for this deck to be good, right? Like, in terms for, of... Force of Will needs to be non-existent. Like, Graveyard Hate needs to be low. Um, I just... I'm, I'm not sure exactly when i would ever want to play this deck right period like i think you are you and i are just like the the type of personality that would never play this right probably never play belcher just because you are like agency and control over the game is just non-existent right. i don't say non-existent but like way less than if you're playing brainstorm ponder and force of will yeah i mean specifically in this version because it's not like you know, the cyborg you would see with, like, four Duress and four Veil of Summer. This is, like, a Dark Depth cyborg, you know? So it's it's basically trying to make, to put you in that situation where you have to choose between one or the other or, like, leave Plows in or whatever, you know? They're trying to basically put that gun to your head during cyborging. They're not trying to interact with, like, uh, you know, Duresses or whatever, so. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, because it is a force check, and everything like that. I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is how good does this deck have to be before other people pick it up, right? Besides just hobbyists. Mm. Like 75% success rate? Oh, no. I, I think I think if its success rate was, was far lower than 70%, more people would pick it up. Well, no, not the win rate. Just the... the you, you draw a 7 and the chance that it goes off. Oh, okay. I understand. I'm sorry. Um, I'm not sure. Like, I, yeah, it, we'd always it, heard it was like 60 could absolutely be higher than 70%. It still doesn't mean people are going to flock to it because of the reasons that we talked about before. Exactly, right. So I'd always heard that this deck was like 64, 65% to, to go off, right? Right. And now I have to imagine it's, it's north of 70. So, like, how good does this deck have to be before it would become a problem, right? Like, or could it even just never become a problem because people just wouldn't play it? Well, I think it would just need more free interaction to be able to protect it. Um, I'm sure that they, there absolutely could be some cards printed that like break this deck. Um, I, there might even be those cards in in the pool and legacy, and people just don't don't haven't discovered it. But yeah, um, well, I mean, four chancellors and four packs is pretty good, man. It's true, um, but but it, I don't think it's enough. When, right. uh, when people know what the deal is. And another thing I like about this build is that it's pretty resilient to Flusterstorm, man. Like, there's there's just so many sources of mana now, like, between artifacts, spirit guides, and just straight-up lands. There's a good chance you don't have to cast a ritual anymore. Sure. You're, you're, playing, you're playing six copies, and um, there's more access to mana than the deck used to have. So getting your like uh, first ritual copied or um, flustered is less of an issue. Um, right. Like getting into that greedy spot where they let you resolve the first one 
uh, and you try to play through it, probably matters a little bit less to this deck because you have more permanent mana sources if your combo gets disrupted. So, yeah. Or actually, that's the way to do it. Actually, that's the way to do it against this deck now because they have to cast Dread Return, and they just have one Cabal Therapy. That's oh, interesting. Actually. Okay. Yeah. However, you want to play it. If you allow them to mill their entire deck, I, I usually don't think that's probably good for you. You probably want right. to disrupt it before that. But if you know you have a stacked hand, you can obviously just let them do that and fluster the uh, the rest. For sure. So 28th place, uh, Well2x is playing a deck. I don't know. What do you what do you want to call this deck? Blood Sun Omni. But like, oh, you want you want to know what I actually think? Like bad show and tell. But yeah. uh, I I guess it's I I guess it's like a like a show and tell mid range deck. Like you're playing um, Blood Sun as hey maybe I can get to cast Golos or maybe I can hard cast an Inferno Titan or or something like that. Um, you have like a mid range Planeswalker game, but not a ton of protection. I yeah. just uh, I think this deck is really weird. Yeah, it is pretty strange. So this is, it, it is basically show and tell, but like you said, there's six Planeswalkers. There's three Karns, uh, Karn the Great Creator, one Karn Liberated, one Chandra, Awaken Inferno, one Ugin Spirit Dragon. With six creatures, Grizzlebrand, Inferno, Titan, Golos, Emrakul, Elishnor, and then a bunch of show and tell stuff, but then also four oh, Blood Suns Lotus and four Field. Stifles. Yeah, I and mean, then, yeah. like, the interaction between Blood Sun and Lotus Field is really cute. Mm-hmm. um but i just i don't know this seems this seems sketch it is it, it, is it does sus. seem really sketch yeah. in the name of the in the, the the words of the students yeah so yeah, yeah I don't this know, deck man. is sus that's that's what i came up with it does kind of look a little nick fitty to me but i wanted to mention it at least for the Seagate Restoration and Valakid Awakening in the sideboard. So Valakid Awakening we obviously didn't talk about last week. It's a come into play tapped red land that has, uh, I believe it's a two and a red instant to, dis- to to winds of change yourself. Discard your hand and draw that many cards plus one. Mm-hmm. So you can just get, get a new four, five, six, seven, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's ultimate like flood protection, but... Uh... And I guess right. it's it's great with Lotus Field powering it out, but um, I'm still not sure. Well, I'm more sure about Valakid Awakening than this deck in general, I would say. Like, I think Valakid Awakening is a legitimate card to consider for, like, lands or something like that now. Okay. Like Just I, because I, of the interaction I, with, um, uh, with Dread, like, um, Life from the Loam, or just yeah. that ability specifically? the the wheel your hand thing yeah yeah i mean the wheel your hand thing is great you can you can loam as part of that yeah yeah okay but just you know getting new cards like you know lance doesn't really have a way to seal out of cards other than dredging so you end up with a handful of stuff that you're just sort of recycling so mm-hmm. might as well just dip, and then you can just dump it all and get get gas apparently yeah okay so I thought that was pretty cool, you know, like get that back from your graveyard and just ditch the seven that you're holding and find the card that you need. Yeah, maybe maybe my opinion is completely dead wrong. Uh, I just feel like this deck is really trying to go in too many directions. 
and um you might as well just have like sneak attack as your backup plan rather than trying to blood sun into lotus field to cast all your uh five and six drops that you're trying to cast true true how many blue cards are in this deck man 22 i guess yeah that's fine it didn't seem like the blue count would be high enough for force but i guess it is 23 actually so the other deck from saturday's challenge was 30th place mogged with cleansing blue red delver so this is cleansing wildfire that we talked about which was the two mana stone rain but they get to ghost quarter wait i'm sorry say it again cleansing wildfire oh yeah yeah, yeah. yep in the blue red delver shell yeah, so this is just Blue Red Delver. It is a more prowessy build, because like when we talked about this card last week, we did talk about Young Pyromancer, and this is a return to Young Pyromancer. So this is... Yeah, it's even playing Sprite Dragon to uh, yeah. to load things yeah. up. And, um, I mean, unless you're playing against a basic heavy deck, this obviously can be good. Like, you get a, get a dual land. If they can't replace it, then then that's fine. I just don't know if this is where I would start. But it does just cycle, I guess. Right. Yeah, for sure. And when when you're getting benefits off cycling cards, like Sprite Dragon, Young Pyromancer, those sort of benefits, then it seems less bad as a fail state. And the other thing I'll mention is a lot of people are saying, you know, these, these snow decks, for example, are really basic heavy. And like, yeah, if you hit their island, they're going to get another island. But generally, they only play one of the real splash lands each, you know. Mm-hmm. And Astrolabe still makes that a problem. But, like, you know, let's say you hit their their plains or their, their mountain, right? If they don't have an Astrolabe out, they're not getting another mountain after that. So they have to play into your wastelands after that. So I, I, I don't think it's as bad against those decks as people say it is. Mm-hmm. But it, it does kind of look a little foolish in the face of Astrolabe stuff. Okay. But, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm glad somebody tried this card out. Like I, I, I thought about this card quite a bit, and I'm glad somebody did this, and I'm glad they did well. Have you ever seen this card in the sideboard, Claim the Firstborn? I know what that card is because I've thought about it because of like Merit Lage and stuff. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't th- I think this is the first time I've actually seen it in Legacy Sideboards. Yeah, it's a, it was a weird card. It was in Throne Draft, but it was clearly there for Constructed. It's a sorcery, act of treason for a, a three or less creature. Yep, that only costs one mana. For single red, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd thought about playing the card before, but I'd never actually done it. So it's kind of cool that somebody did, I guess. You know, they, they definitely are going to get somebody eventually with it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's absolutely true. So yeah, I believe that's all from the Saturday challenge, unless unless there was something else you wanted to discuss. Oh uh, no, no, dude, not, I'm not sorry. From Saturday. I'm sorry. Twelfth place. There's a fucking Omnath in somebody's deck, and it might be Honorog's deck. Uh, it was in the Snowco deck, right? Yeah. I just like why does was, no, was did you? I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm not super in touch with what's going on. But did Wizards say that like this is even before the set standard legal that they were gonna reevaluate some some things, like I think they were referring to Uro in the context of land drop set. 
Okay. I, I, um, I didn't follow it that closely, but that's what I understood. Okay. So maybe maybe it's just Euro, but uh, yeah, this card just seems nuts. Yeah, I didn't really see... I mean, I, I read the card when we were doing our set review, and I was like, I'm not even going to talk about this card. I think it's just in there to be cute, to be honest, because... Oh, yeah, I'm not really talking about it for Legacy. I'm talking about, like, hey, we, yeah. we might have a standard where uh, they had to ban the whole energy mechanic because of converting um converting extra resources into cards through uh whatever um the blue green three two for three or two three for three i can't even remember but this just like you can just staple draw a card on all the threats now and it has these other crazy abilities yeah so yeah i guess we should mention it in case anybody's interested omnath is a a blue white green red four four you draw a card when you play it obviously and then your first land drop, you gain four life. Your second land drop, you add blue, white, green, red to your mana pool. And your third land land drop, you, you like super pyroplasm them, right? Yeah, it's like four, but it's four just to them and all their planeswalkers. Right. Now, obviously setting up like triple landfall after casting a four drop is, is hard, but that's like stapled onto a pretty beefy creature with a cantrip built in already. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty gross, man. And Cleansing Wildfire can actually help enable that, which I, I do see there are two in the sideboard of this deck. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I noticed really quick in the draft format is you can Cleansing Wildfire yourself to, to make land drops. Yep, to cantrip and, and fix your mana, and it counts as an extra landfall. And hit, like, hit landfall. So that that is kind of interesting for, like, if you go, for example, Uro and then Cleansing Wildfire. You know, for five mana, you get this Mizium Mortars or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I guess it's not that awful of a card. Like it's a four four that draws a card and probably gains eight life or something. But it's yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about that in terms of legacy, but just overall power level for standard. Yeah. So then for the Sunday challenge, we had this is this is fucking crazy, bro. This is the the most exciting thing. Sixth place goblins it was grumsh playing goblins with three of a card that i never in a million years would have looked twice at which is fissure wizard so fissure wizard is like a draft staple common i didn't realize it was a goblin because it says fissure wizard i just assumed it was human but or, what it is yeah. a goblin wizard okay yeah what it is is a two one that when it comes into play, you can discard a card and draw a card, which is a pretty normal effect. I would have thought that there were like 10 of these already that existed for for one in a red, two ones that discard and draw Yeah, that, that have some looting ability. Yeah, some, some rummaging ability. So basically, this card didn't didn't tickle my you know spider sense or whatever. I, I don't know, I'm not into the X-Men shit, but this card was not the card that I looked at twice okay but apparently this is a new thing for goblins um i mean we we saw decks trying to power out muxus now we're seeing like a reanimate loot your muxus shell with gaia's cradle it's um it's interesting for sure i didn't even notice the gaia's cradle but yeah basically just being able to so this deck is playing three reanimates so being able to discard your muxus and then reanimate it on turn three is another 
turbo muxes right yep it's absolutely true and i guess like the reanimate uh gives you i don't know gives you like a pretty big toolboxy ability with your um ability to churn through your deck um maybe your your lackeys end up coming back on turn two and can actually connect Uh, (laughs) uh, yeah i guess you have some um uh, you don't have any discard in the sideboard to be able to pair with that, but reanimator, reanimator main deck um, in Goblin seems uh, seems sweet. Bro, do you think this is the first time there's ever been a one of Lightning Bolt on a sideboard before? No, I'm sure that it's happened before. That's so funny to me, though. Uh, so yeah, basically this is the Goblins, the the Turbo Muxus deck, but instead of the bad, the the worst. I'm not gonna call them bad. The lesser turbo cards, which are Warren Instigator and uh, three Skirk Prospector. This deck's only playing two Skirk Prospector and no Warren Instigator is playing Reanimate instead. Mm-hmm. And then the Fissure Wizards to potentially bin the Muxus. I really like this idea, man. Like once I saw it, it was like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's a goblin. It can it can do its normal thing, which is find you lands or find you gas, depending on what you need. But if you have a Muxus in hand, you can bin it and potentially reanimate it. And like you said, reanimate is just a pretty good card to have access to in Goblins, honestly. It's like, a, I, I've seen a one-of unearthing Goblins, for example. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. So yeah, this is really cool. Uh, I never would have found it, so I'm glad somebody did. And yeah, that's that's honestly, of all the cards we've seen, of, of all the, you know, people playing Seagate Stormcaller or Sky Skyclave Apparition or whatever, I'm most sold on this Fissure Wizard being, being oh, correct. No. <laughs> because at least worst case scenario, it's like a 2-1 that can loot. <laughs> yeah, it's a goblin in the goblin deck. Like, it still goes to your hand when you cast fucking Recruiter, you know? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sold. But I'm, like, I I could have gone through this set a thousand times, card by card, and been like, what the hell is this? This yeah. is bulk trash that we'll never see play. Uh, but I'm, yeah. not, I'm not a creative mind, and obviously this person is. <laughs> Well, you know, it's like Christopher Hitchens says, man. Everyone has to choose their regrets, right? So 13th place, <laughs> Lanteror, playing lands. Uh, oh, this is actually, I guess this is where I got the idea for Valakid Exploration that I thought was my own idea, and it's not. No, there it's definitely three... yours. You're looking at this for the first time. Nah. <laughs> you didn't put cast notes together. Uh, your ideas already sprung to life in this 13th place list there we go so three valakid explorations in this lands deck and it's actually a, a kind of an atypical lands deck because it's playing two savine reclamations and two lightning bolts uh-huh. but yeah it, it's lands you know it, it's a lands deck it's going to play out like a lands deck it just has a little more velocity than usual and then these valakid explorations give it a lot more velocity than usual so mm-hmm. yeah the faithless looting uh seems seems out of the ordinary to me but maybe it's just because i haven't kept up with the evolution of lands no that is out of the ordinary but honestly dude i've always thought that that was like on par with gamble like you know how people talk about ponder and preordain mm. in the uh in the this is me rumbling because i don't agree but uh, well i've always thought that that faithless looting was pretty damn close to as good as gamble like i understand gamble is is very good but I was always like, uh, is it that much better than looting would be? I don't know. To some people, they are the same thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
two drop of honey in the sideboard. So thank you, Lanteror. Your check is in the mail. And <laughs> do you, let's do you see. have one sitting in a binder somewhere? Yeah. So, oh yeah, this is the last deck that we're going to talk about. King Regal, 24th place with five color storm, storm callers. I, I'm never going to get to the name of this fucking card, right, dude? Sky something storm caller. Sky fucker, yeah. Where is it? Seagate Stormcaller. There we go. So yeah, this is this is like the cocaine control deck that that Tom's been playing. It's got four astrolabes, three arrows, three teferis. A... Actually, no, this is five colors. So I'll be fair. This is fully five colors, and yeah, it's got two village rights. And other than that, it's just that deck with four Seagate Stormcallers. It's kind of like a like a trip, yeah. Yeah, the cocaine control was already a little. Uh, I guess like um, storm collaring village rights seems like it's kind of amazing, and uh, yeah, I mean it's draw four, right? Yeah, it's just it's pretty crazy, and being able to have the astrolabe database to uh, like double him, um, potentially is game breaking. So, I mean, I don't I don't hate it. I think four is a lot, though. Bro, since we're talking about him for the first time in a long time, have you noticed that the Pox lists that have been doing well don't play for him anymore? Um, I haven't. The How Pox, the, crazy the tweaks in the Pox deck list is something that I, <laughs> I definitely am not on the edge of. There are a lot right. of people who are, and I'm not one of those people. Gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah, basically, that, that seems like the weirdest thing to me because it always seemed like the best card you could possibly play in that deck. But Yep. Bro, so remember we were talking about Dungeons & Dragons last week? Like, um, the, the... The set and all that? Yeah, whatever that set is called that's coming out next year with, like, proper noun legendary characters from yeah. the Forgotten Realms or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I went out and bought... Uh, it was sort of like a dual... Uh, packaged game thing of Torment and Icewind Dale. Do you ever play these games? I've heard of them. I never played them. I know okay. that uh, they just released a new Baldur's Gate, um, and I saw I saw an Icewind Dale advertisement on Facebook, but uh, but I didn't buy the game. Okay, so yeah, my my brother actually was telling me about the new Baldur's Gate. I guess he's playing it. But did you play Baldur's Gate one? Uh, I played a lot of the really old ones. Yeah, way back in the day. Like the top-down RPG view, like Khalid and Jahira and shit. Okay, the I was thinking the, more like it, it modeled. Uh, it modeled the old Zelda. Yeah, kinda. It was kind of like Diablo or whatever. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't really anything special, like graphically or anything. I, I don't know. I, I think people kind of tweaked out on it because it was like the D and D rules, like you rolled it pretended to roll dice or whatever yeah it was like like d20 based and you're like oh this is great it reminds me of actually playing a game with friends that i could have people over to play but it's a video game i can play by myself yeah bro do you know that they're re-releasing oh fuck dude hero quest yes there you go yeah um hasbro hasbro already raised the money through their like pre-order website to to re-release it that game was awesome back in the day yeah, was it awesome though? Honestly, did you play it? Did I you did. honestly play it? I actually did. You honestly played it. Yeah. All right. 
I just used to look at it and chew on the pieces and stuff because I had <laughs> friends. But basically, like we we set it up <laughs> at at gaming etc. Like a year ago with like you know a thirty pack of beer and four of us or whatever. Yeah. And so the first time through, we were like, "Oh, we must have been drunk and didn't understand the rules." And the second time through, we're like, no, wait, this game's just fucking impossible, apparently. Like, it is fucking hard, dude. Like, there's no way to win that goddamn game. No, you just need to play enough of it until, until you get so lucky. It's so hard. It, I guess that makes sense, because it's, like, it's like needs to be replayable. It's yeah. a old game, right? Like, when you finally do it, then you're like, wow, like, that that was awesome. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just so weird, because we live in this world of, like, easy instant gratification, participation trophies. And then there's this thing that's actually hard, and you're like, wait, I must be doing this wrong, right? Because we we just had like a nightmare of a time trying to trying to win that game, dude. Okay. Well, it might so, have been might have been the Bud Light too. I don't know. Yeah, Miller Light, but yeah. Okay. So basically, I I guess what I was just trying to ask is like, was it really just nightmarishly hard, or was were we playing wrong? You were probably playing wrong. I don't <laughs> okay. remember it being super nightmarishly hard, but maybe I used to cheat when I played it. I, I don't remember. Yeah, it, it just seemed like brutally difficult. And like we were playing like pretty optimal strategy. Like it was all magic players, you know what I mean? Like we weren't dicking around and making making jokes, running into rooms with monsters, springing traps and shit. We were actually like strategically lining up with doorways to take on monsters one at a time, you know what I mean? Yep, okay, I gotcha. And we were just getting fucked up every single time, just getting absolutely rolled by fucking Tim McMath, the DM. So, yeah. Oh, dude, shout out to Kramer. Kramer had fucking twins. God damn it. Can you edit? No, don't edit. Kramer had his twins, bro, so congratulations. It's fucking awesome. Two healthy baby girls. I can't believe they're going to be healthy when he spent the time to go back and listen to every one of our back episodes. That's yeah. like that's got to permanently damage your DNA and uh Well no, they he they were already well growing by the time he started listening to our back catalog. Oh, okay. So then okay, I understand. They're just going to be like screwed up from their upbringing then. Yeah. I'm sorry. And he'll have, he'll have more time to listen after he has his bisectomy. All right. A little step step. All right, bro. So anything else? No, my wife is going to listen to this and she'll be like, hey, he's getting one. Um, no, are you really? No, I mean, she, no, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about that. Bro, my boss at my, uh, an old job I had, got a, got one of those yep. and came into work with like a, it looked like a whoopee cushion. I think it might've been a whoopee cushion actually. They just <laughs> filled up with ice Yeah. and just sat on it and talked to you know, there's like 40 people in the office or whatever, talked to everyone about it and like made a big show of like how painful it was to sit down and everything for like two weeks. And we're like, dude, this is so fucking awkward. Like this is, this is not okay to do this, you know? Yep. Whenever I think of vasectomies, I just think about that. Yeah, I would, uh, I would not end up going to work if I had to sit on a pillow or, uh, or whatever. Bro, I had a business idea, like, just right before we started casting what if there was like a button on twitter or like a you could incorporate it with with twitter it wouldn't actually be on twitter but like you know you could you could incorporate it with social media websites where if two people are fighting they could both agree to do this challenge and then 
they have like official IQ test results somewhere that, that are stored in a repository that are not accessible to the, the public. But if two people say like, oh, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, it's like, okay, then let's show down. And then you both press a button and then it says who's actually smarter than the other person. Yeah, it could be like chess boxing. You could you could schedule like actual fisticuffs and in addition to that compare uh I don't know, master's degrees. It sounds like a <laughs> like a super white libertarian thing to think about. <laughs> and you know people would just be like, Oh, that's fake or oh it's hacked or whatever, but I don't know, man. I feel like I could make like forty grand real quick and get out. You could. Your uh your people would love that. That's a real libertarian take. <laughs> all right but do so, they have that money to spend on uh putting their iq into a repository to get taken care of when uh when they're buying so much ammo i don't know it's not the right time i guess all right <laughs> uh deadformatcast at gmail.com uh how can people find you on twitter t smiley mtg and you can follow the cast at deadformatcast ian18125 on twitter send us an email or don't whatever the fuck yep. and and uh, we're, we're doing that fundraiser oh yeah send us send us stuff send us bullets don't don't actually send us bullets but don't send us bullets yeah yeah that's a wrap <laughs>